We had the last hour last year had somebody who's 97 and they applauded. She said, it's easy. Just don't die. Uh, do that. So, but all moms are the best moms. And if you don't believe it, watch this. <laughs> no, everything is fine. I will. Look, I love you too. I know I say this all the time, but you are the best mom in the world. Yeah. Hey, Pete, is that my mom? Hey, one second. I'm sorry? You just said you're the best mom in the world. Yeah, Greg. I'm talking to my mom. Okay, well, FYI, my mom's the best mom in the world. Uh, I think you're mistaken, because my mom is the best. Look, in the no offense to your mother. I'm sure she's perfectly adequate, but my mom never missed any of my Little League games. Hey, Mom, hold on one second. <laughs> okay, Greg, look. I'm sure your mom had plenty of time on her hands to do nothing but sit on the bench and watch her son pick daisies out in left field. But my mom was a single parent who raised three rowdy boys, held two jobs, and sang in the church choir. Okay, okay. That's impressive. Yeah. But my mom was, and still is, married to my dad. That is tough. I know your dad. Which is why she deserves worldwide recognition for being the number one mom. Whoa! Whoa! Uh, slow it down, man! The best she'll ever do is number one runner-up, in case my mom can't fulfill her duties. I would not go there if I were you. Go where? I'm there! Best mom! Second best! Silver medal participation ribbon! Deal with it! Hey! You guys keep it down? I'm trying to work over here. Sorry, Will. Pete's over here lying about how his mom's the best mom in the world. I think we both know that that's not true, Pete. Thank you, William. See? Because it's a recorded fact that my mom has the title number one mom in the world. What is wrong with you guys? Security, will you come up and do a drug test on Greg and William? Security, send over an ambulance. Two of my coworkers are going totally insane. Hey. Security, you should come up here quickly because my coworkers are... <laughs> They're ugly. Ha! Look whose mom didn't teach him how to trash talk. Look whose mom never taught him how to grow hair on his head. Okay, you guys are both lucky that my mom taught me manners or the two of you would be going down. Guess whose mom taught him how to attack people that talk smack about her. Who's the number one mom? Say her name. No! Say her no. name. Guess whose mom let him watch wrestling on Saturday mornings. Look at yourselves, fighting over whose mom's the best. Would any of your mothers be proud of you right now? No. No, a little bit. Pete? No, ma'am. That's what I thought. It is pointless to fight and argue when we all know perfectly well that every mother is special. She's right. And hopelessly second best to my mom. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! No roughhousing indoors. Let's take this outside. Oh, that's my boy. Oh, best son in the world. Are you talking to my son? Oh, no. Mine's the best in the world. You want to bet? Let's do this. Every Mother's Day. <laughs> well, for those of you that are uh, visiting or watching online, we're in a series on Who is My Family? And as we found out, a couple of remarkable truths about the family experience. First of all, the family is always changing. It's a living, growing organism. You're never born into the same family. As I said uh, before, when uh, Vanessa, our first, was born, we were so careful with her. By the time our third, Rachel, was born, we were just carrying her around by the back leg, throwing her on the couch, you know. The family changes. You're not born in the same family, and it's always. 
And second of all, you live in many families. You have your family of origin. And you always have that background radiation. You and I are always a combination of a reflection and a reaction to our parents. Second of all, you've got your immediate family, the nuclear family, whether you married into it, whether it's friends that become his family. Proverbs says that there is a friend who is closer than a brother, and they become familial in that way. And the third is that you have a spiritual family. And for those that haven't learned or brought this side of a group of men and women that can love them and laugh with them and cry with them and share in life, they're so impoverished compared to having this rich diversity that is out there. But, you know, as you take a look at this family in this morning as we look at this question of parenting, next week we'll be looking at aging parents and how do you honor parents in that way. Next week, after that, we'll be looking, closing up our series on divorce and how can God's grace be put into that in blended families and how does God love in those situations. But this morning, as we take a look at the question of mothers, I had someone tell me after the 9 o'clock service, he said, I want my kids to buy all the things I could never afford. And then when they buy them, I'm going to move in with them. <laughs> it's funny what uh, Aristotle said, quote, Mothers are more fond of their children than fathers because they're more certain they're their own. <laughs> Aristotle said that. You know, when, when you take a look at this question, this, but he's pointing at this nurturing side of mothers and of all feminine, of women in that side. You know, God, of course, acorporeal. He's not masculine or feminine. We represent a different side of that. And ladies, you bring a unique side of God into our lives and to enrich it and to make it better. Whether a mother biologically in that role or not, you know, when I say mother, what do you think of? There are some as painful. They always wanted to be mothers and God did not bless them with that life. There are others. Some of us have negative. Some of us have great positive memories. When someone says to you, don't mother me, what do they mean by that? What does that verb mean? Don't mother me. A woman was speaking at a women's retreat and she's talking about husbands and wanting to be equal. And she said, how many of you ladies want to mother your husbands? And a woman in the back raised her hand. She said, you want to mother your husband? She said, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you said smother my husband. I had no idea. But, but the question of how do we? There's a lot of great stories of motherhood in the scriptures. There's a story of Jacobed, the mother of Moses, who was willing to put him into the river so that he would live rather than being killed because he was a Hebrew male child. There's, of course, Solomon, the prostitute mother who demonstrated love, who when the one said, this is my child, and the other, and he said, well, we'll divide the baby in half. And the real mother said no, that she would release him rather than have harm come to him. And Solomon said, obviously, the real mother. There was the mother, of course, of Jesus, Mary, who stood by at the cross. There was the mother of James and John who was so driven, she walked up to Jesus and said, I want one at the right and one at the left when you come into glory. Of course, Paul points out he loved Timothy's mother, Eunice. Paul, we don't have any knowledge of his family. There's one tantalizing verse in Acts where he's in prison that his nephew comes and visit him in Caesarea. We know that he was certainly raised in Jerusalem, so wealthy his father bought a Roman citizenship. So Paul was born both a Hebraic Jew of the tribe of Benjamin and a Roman citizen, taught by Gamaliel, who was kind of the Aristotle of Judaism of the first century. But then all he says, I lost all things for Christ. He probably lost his family when he said, I met the risen Christ, and he said that he's the Messiah. But it, God brings into his life his spiritual family. 
Barnabas and his beloved Timothy and the beloved physician Luke who will write, as well as Silas. And one interesting passage. If you have your Bible, turn with me first of all over to the Gospel of Mark and to the 15th chapter. It's on page 829 in your pew Bible there. And the story begins on the Via Dolorosa, the word for the way of sorrow, as Jesus is on the way to be crucified. Remember John Mark, who traveled with Peter, writes this. And Peter is probably writing, or John Mark is, the gospel to the Christians in Rome. And he writes this passage. Now, Jesus is on the way to be crucified. Verse 21. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, why is that there in the middle of... Here's this horrific story of Christ being crucified. And John Mark says, The person that carried a cross was Simon, or Simeon, the Hebrew, of a Jew of North Africa. Cyrene is in North Africa, below Egypt. And he is the father of Alexander and Rufus. Well, the next time we find this, turn with me over to the book of Romans, and to the 16th chapter, on page 925. 16, verse 13. Paul has not been to Rome yet. He writes this letter and this is the end. These are real letters written to real people. And he's saying, greet all these different people. And then he drops this, verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and greet his mother, a mother to me also. And the Greek is really my mother as well. Rufus's mother, who was the son of Simon, of Cyrene, who carried the cross of Christ, becomes for Paul his mother. And as you put this together, we find out some tantalizing insights into that. One more passage to help connect this together. Turn over to the book of Acts and to the uh, 13th chapter, page 896. Man, we're jumping around like a Baptist pastor on espresso here of all these different verses. And the reason I give the page number is because you're Presbyterian. Okay, uh, <laughs> Baptists would know where to turn. But on the 13th chapter, in verse 1, he's writing. Now, Luke is writing. Now, notice this. Now, the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, which means black. Lucius of Cyrene. Manny and a member of the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, here we see the story of this background, if you will, this B-theme role going of this remarkable woman. And I tell you, ladies, if you can learn anything about the mother of Rufus is that she learned how to first of all relocate she went from North Africa to Antioch which is in Syria to Rome this woman knew about boxes she knew how to travel and wherever she went she kept her sense about her she not only knew how to relocate she knew how to redeem the broken when Paul knows her in Antioch this is his 14 years of silence this is the time he was so vicious in having Christians arrested and killed that after 14 years, people didn't trust Paul yet. But it is 
obvious Rufus' mother, who he will greet in Rome, he hasn't been there yet, who during the hardest time of Paul's life, she took him in. She knew how to redeem failure. And she knew how to take care of helping people and loving. And not only did she know how to relocate and redeem, but she certainly knew how to release. Notice there's no mention in Paul's writing of Simeon, of Simon, in Rome. He's gone. He's died. If you live to be 35 years old in the first century Roman Empire, you lived a lifespan. Most people's lifespan is between the ages of 30 and 40. 40 would have been an old life. And she obviously in this life has lost her husband, has lost Alexander, is not greeted. And she knows how to release this godly woman. Things that she can't control and hold on to it. And ladies, there is no more attack on any role in this society than the vital role of being a mother. And one of the most important things, you're not going to change this city in Los Angeles. You're going to change it by having healthy families. And you're going to have healthy families. It is so important. And guys, Father's Day, we'll be talking about our role. And we can listen in. But women, the important role you play that nobody else can play in the life of another human being. Well, it's interesting when it says that, that first of all, that he says that, greet Rufus, mother to me. Now, some of our mothers, when we think of our mom, mothers, we have great memories. Some of them have tough memories. Some of us have memories of great pain. Some of our mothers were fun. Some of our mothers are rather self-assured. I <laughs> like uh, David Dinkins, who was a mayor of... Uh, New York City, when he went to a school reunion, he got in the limo with his wife, and he, and he was feeling a little good about himself, and he said, where do you think you'd be if you hadn't married me? She said, I'm sure I'd be here in the limo with someone else. <laughs> that, in other words, what I have brought to you, don't, let's not forget this. And as we take a look at this question, what, on this, why would I quote Paul? Isn't he the great chauvinist on Mother's Day? Isn't he the one that always puts women down? Not at all. Not when you put him in the context of the Roman world. And it's interesting in this world of differences, and ladies, you know there's a huge difference between procreation and motherhood. And isn't it ironic how a lot of the women having kids shouldn't, and the ones that really would be great moms don't have biological roles in that way? And the difference between having a child and raising a child is night and day. And there's this great challenge today. I mean, I so admire you ladies trying to raise families today. I mean, it is so tough. And in L.A., oh my goodness, being able to try to keep your family somewhat connected together. The tough thing, you know, every child is different. There are compliant children. They're born compliant. And then there are my children. Then there are other children. They're strong-willed children. The compliant child at birth, when the doctor spanks them, the child says, is your hand okay? Are you all right? Sorry about that. Strong-willed child gets spanked at birth and says, is that your best shot? Come on, come on. And they're in your face from the get-go. And every child is raised different. It's like flying a kite. Some of us ladies and dads as well keep our kids so close to us that we're like we're running around the front lawn holding the kite a foot away from us and they can never get enough air to be on its own. You let go of that kite, though, and it falls to the ground. And every kite and every child and every wind is different. Some you need to give a lot of string. Some you need to shorten the string down a bit. But ladies, i tell you one thing. One, two important things to do. One, if you want to ruin your child's life, 
Yes, Mark, tell me, how can I ruin my child's life? Here's how. Let them raise themselves. You don't raise your kids, the world will. And I tell you how the world's going to raise them is going to mess their head like you can't believe. Now, it is true that you are not God. You and I, we're not God. They are standalone individuals. They stand before the Lord. It is interesting to me that the older generation talks about the younger generation like we had nothing to do with them. You know, we were kind of involved in it. But if you just let that child go and raise themselves, there's no such thing as a self-nurturing agent. That you were called to come alongside. And one of the worst things to do, by the way, parents, and for those that have more than one child, is to compare kids. I mean, you, you have ones you love, and you have ones that are easier to love than others. Some, you know, you lift up to the Lord in gratitude. Others you lift up as a burnt offering, you know. <laughs> but don't ever say to them, why can't you be like him or why can't you be like her? That really is setting up a really anxious, neurotic family system. But being able to say, you are who you are and I am who I am and we try to do the best and to love you and we'll always stand by it. Not enabling, not reinforcing what is destructive in their life. Times you need to confront Times you need to make the lines real clear. I can remember when we were, I think I told you, studying over in Scotland. We were sitting in a restaurant one time, and my kids were kind of, you know, being themselves and fun and running around. And there were these three little Scottish kids sitting there so well-behaved with their, must have been their grandmother. She was sitting there with her tea and her gloves on, sipping tea. And, and I wondered how they were that way. And one of them started to act up, and she reached under the table, took her umbrella, and smacked him in the head. And I said, oh, that's how I understand. I'm not advocating hitting kids in the head with umbrellas. I am advocating drawing lines and saying, this is the way to live. You are free, particularly as they get older into adolescence. Toddlers is where they separate and individuate, finding themselves, and they learn the magic N-word. No, 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 no. Adolescence is this, once again toddlerhood, but this time they have acne. That's the only difference. And it's learning how that they become a person. And being able to say, there's the authoritarian parent, which we all fall into, because I said so. That doesn't go anywhere. There's the permissive parent that says, well, whatever, good luck. But then there's the one that's the connected parent. Too connected, stuck, and it becomes so brittle that the relationship, if anything ever disagrees, it breaks. Too distant, there's no kind of connection at all. And so learning how, as God gives us this great gift of being able to raise children, to stay in, if you will, that lover's quarrel, being able to bring them up in the discipline and nurture of the Lord. Discipline is, means teaching, the right word. Nurture is that care side to it. If you up the discipline, you've got to up the nurture. Sometimes, you know, you can... Sometimes warnings and threats won't go anywhere. I remember... a teacher told me one time some years ago that she was teaching him and she was going to teach her class this was a grade school class in Strasburg, Colorado about how to listen to your parents and she told the horrible story of a young boy that didn't listen to his mother and went out into the winter to go sledding and he didn't have his hat or his gloves or his coat on and he caught pneumonia and died and one little boy raised his hand and said I have two questions and the teacher said yes he said first of all who has the sled? And second of all, do you think I could have it? <laughs> Not learning the question of, this is the consequence of living this kind of life. And so Paul, we find out that Rufus' mother has this ability to not only to 
relocate and to change. And man, is the velocity of life today off the hook and the complexity of life and the mobility of life. And ladies, the primary relationships you have, if you can be that non-anxious presence is the psych term for essentially bringing the shalom, the peace of God. That doesn't mean that you're always chillaxed and always smiling, but that you are there and that you can stand by them and love them no matter what happens. Not for your needs. This is not about trophy families. This is not about parents, and my goodness, watching in Little League parents trying to work out their ego's needs on the sidelines through their kids. Is it crazy out there or what? And the inflation of skill knowledge today, I mean, you have to pick your sport by what? Kindergarten? And get sent to camp? The amount of knowledge our children have to have? And the next time you are tempted to say, when I was your age, put a cork in the bottle. Because you never were their age at this time. But the good news is God gives all the more grace. The Holy Spirit, He hasn't asleep at the will. And He can through parents and moms through you to be able to raise us to this new level. Paul, speaking of the whole new society, last passage, turn over to Ephesians and to the 6th chapter, page 952. Not only does Rufus mother heroic in the real sense of the term and being able to relocate from Africa to the Middle East to Rome. And she knows how to redeem when no one would trust Paul. Look what Paul says here, verse 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that word is very much a care teaching. The like you're almost almost as a picture in the Greek of holding while you're educating, of loving and looking to their eyes. Say, moms and dads, don't push on your kids, don't break them. But you bring them up and say, this is the way to live, knowing that there are no guarantees other than that if God is faithful. And this is the fun thing. I love this about. Not only the background I have in psych, but in theology and in pastoring, seeing you can take a healthy person in the sickest family system, you put them in the middle of it, and they can bring an unbelievable amount of health to the whole system. Not in trying to live other people's life, that wouldn't be healthy, but in modeling, this is maturity, this is love. Dysfunction is, I'll die without you and you'll die without me, let's not die. It's a bad equation. You won't die without me, and I won't die without you. That's not how God has made us. But mom's being able to say, I can be in this situation and love you and not agree or whatever and live my life, and I want the very best for you. And God can use that so powerfully. Rufus' mother knew how to do that. Knew how to redeem the situation. As we said, as we praise the Lord for so many of you that are interested in adopting these kids here. And the foster care system in Los Angeles, like many places, is so broken. And there's so many opportunities to be able to really show the love of God by coming alongside, as many of you are planning on doing. And you know, who is my family? Who are my children? I, uh, pastor who followed me back at Colorado Community, still preaching there, had their own child and adopted a lot of children. And uh, someone came up to him one time and said, now which kids are adopted? And he said, you know, for the life of me, I can't remember. 
They're my kids. They're my children. And when you and I look at not just that these are their children, but these are our children, not in the same, same sense of mother or father, but in the sense, or of grandparent, but in the sense of extended spiritual family of saying, I want to help your kid. And you celebrate the great joy at that. God can use that. And whether it's a small family or a large family. I think I told you I got set up one time while I was watching our three kids playing on the playground equipment. A lady was sitting next to me at a park back in Denver, and she said, she knows I was yelling at all three of them. You know, she said, oh, those three are your kids? And I said, yeah. She said, I wish I had three kids. I said, do you have any? She said, yeah, six. <laughs> Every child is a little bit more of a burden, a little bit more of a reach, but there is that sense that as the family keeps growing, even as very much in the small groups is why it's so important to be in one. Every much as the church grows, that the family itself gets extended out there and being able to find the great joy in knowing that you are special to someone. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep. You know that verb is a feminine verb? That sense, that feminine side of God. God normally reveals himself as father in the masculine, but God, as we said, is beyond that. And ladies, you bring this creative feminine side to life that we guys just simply can't do. That's why it's so important for us to be able to stand by you, encourage you in this incredible, incredible journey that you have in front of you. Moms and dads, the question is, how do we help our children when they fail? Do we stand by them? Or do we have set up for them? And I know how tough it is. I know how tough it is, and you do too. That very often when you, the way you thought life would go, the life you thought you would live, the career you thought you would have, the marriage you thought you would have, the children you thought you would have, and some other hand scripted something that you didn't plan on. If you can see what God is doing, and sometimes it's with the people that break our hearts the most, in the NFL, as it comes back, we enter again the holy season. That's called preseason in August. As one of the things that they're teaching them right now in the camps, when you get tackled, fall forward. You're going to go down. But when you go down, fall forward. You make yards. You win games that way. And teaching your children, you're going to get knocked down. But when you get knocked down, that's all right, fall forward. Be able to learn from them to redeem. And that's what Rufus's mother was able to do for Paul, when no one else would trust with him, is why he said, my mother as well. Eric Fromm, the great psychologist, said, there is no way to be a perfect mother, but there's a thousand ways to be a really good one. There is no perfect mother out there, but there's a thousand, many different ways. Some moms are so loving in many different languages of how they spell to their children. And again, I don't want to say just biological. I mean, that's why in teaching a Sunday school class or a teacher in a public school or someone down the end of the hall of the apartment or someone in one of these small groups, you can pour into someone's life and make such an astounding difference. And it is such a blast to be able to know that the Lord used you in loving and helping somebody else. Karen and I were at a conference down at Dallas uh, last uh, few months ago, and I had never been to the Dallas Art Museum, so we stopped by, and they had a lot of paintings by Benjamin West the American artist. And I remember the story of when someone asked him one time how he decided to become a painter. And he said one time his mother went out 
walking down the block to go buy some groceries. And he took out India ink back then, what they had. And India ink lasts for only, it has the half-life of plutonium. You know, once you stain some with India ink, it's there forever. And he was making a drawing. And he heard his mother coming in, and he knew he wasn't supposed to because he was supposed to be doing his chores. And he spilled the ink, and it spilled on the furniture and onto this rug they had. And his mother walked in the front room and looked at that India ink on the carpet and on the table. And he thought, my life is over. (laughs) And she walked over and she picked up the drawing. And she bent over and kissed him and said, what a lovely drawing. And Benjamin West said, with that kiss, I became an artist. To see beyond the stains, the failures, the disappointments, and say what a lovely thing God can do and use this. That is the power of parenting. That is the power of being a brother and sister in the Lord. And it is so powerful. You don't need to have the same biological genes. You don't even have to have the same name. You don't even need the same address to be family in that sense. In somebody else's life. One of the most powerful things I've heard. Dr. Jim Dixon who uh, preached here before. was a pastor friend. And he was doing his psych internship. um, Up north. And in the hospital at Camarillo. He went in and. They said they were noticing. The Ventura County Sheriff were bringing in. A gentleman who's in the middle of this. A huge guy in a psychotic break. You know, all the noradrenaline that's pumping through your veins when that's going on in a psychotic break. They had these three big sheriffs trying to get this guy to get him down into his room. And he was screaming and yelling. And he said he remembered watching a little Hispanic woman cleaning at the end of the hall. And she put her mop against the wall and came walking over to this guy that was yelling and these three sheriffs. And she held this man and rocked with him and just started singing a song. And she led him by the hand to his room. One Hispanic mother did what three sheriff officers could not. The power of love is an unbelievable power because it's the power of God in our life. Love is not God, but God is love. And when we have Him to be able to reach that. Are we honoring our mothers? Even the ones that are tough to honor. I mean, you don't have to do a lot for them. Take them to McDonald's today, let them supersize it. That's all you need to do. But you have to be able to say thank you, if nothing else, for the gift of life. Ladies, are you learning how to relocate and make home wherever life leads? Who's ever sitting at that table with you? You thought someone would be there who isn't? Or you didn't expect these kids to turn out this way sitting there? Or you didn't expect these friends to be this way? Can you still be the presence of Christ there? You learn how to redeem that when someone fails, to help them dust themselves off, not agree with it, but say, hey, let's move on. And above all, how to release. They don't belong to us. They never did. They belong to the Lord. And when we all stand before the Lord, and the strange thought is when we we are in glory, and whatever the perfect age is, and as I told you, I know it's not 57, that 
when we all stand there, it would be a strange thought that we would be the ages of our parents, is it not, and of our children. And in something that the Bible just hints of, of the ability to say who the real creature will be at that time, and the real adventure begins with those who have loved the Lord, to know when we look back at this life and to see the seeds that were planted, how they grew into love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Ladies, thank God for the role you play in this city and wherever you are at. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have called on us, and even when we run from you, the Lord, even as a loving parent, you will never let us go. The God, you will chase us down even when we shake and throw temper tantrums at you and say our heart has been broken. We don't want you. That Lord, will never do anything to make you stop loving us. And I pray, Lord, for all of us that as we draw near to you and let you, let your life have the courage to let you live the life we know that we always should have. And by your power, not ours. God, I ask that you would bless these women in this sanctuary and watching online, God. I pray that you would give them classy men to be around them, great friends, great sisters in the Lord, and those that can release the gifts you have given unto them. So we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you now, Lord, as we come before you with our tithes and offerings to help the poor. I pray that you would bless the gift, those that need food and clothes, those that need medicine, those that need emotional help as well, God. Bless the gift and the giver alike. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen.